We're told in Romans 15, verse 4, that whatever was written in former days is written for our instruction, so that through the endurance and encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So if you have your copy of God's Word with you today, and I hope you do, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. We're moving through the final section of our study of essential Christianity in this book in a passage that I've titled for our church's time here, Keep Running. Keep Running. You see, Peter's been showing us repeatedly since the beginning of this book that one of our identities as Christians is that we are elect exiles who are going on a journey. We are those who have been graciously chosen by God first to be born again through faith in Christ Jesus. And then second, as God's beloved children, to begin taking a journey through this life that will inevitably lead us in the footsteps of Jesus home to heaven's glories. And so for those of us who are God's children now, that whose citizenship is in heaven, this life, we must remember, is not a home improvement project. It's a journey towards our home in heaven. And Peter reminds us of this over and over and over again in chapter 1, verse 1, in chapter 1, verse 17, in chapter 2, verse 11. We are sojourners and we are exiles. We are travelers and we are pilgrims, never settled, always moving, running, pressing towards God and His eternal glory. And we are elect exiles on a journey. And just like any other journey that you and I will ever take, there's always going to be times of difficulty on this journey. There are always going to be times of difficulty. I don't know if your family was any like mine, but every time our family went on a trip for a vacation or an extended uh, travel, there was always difficulty, and I might say often self-inflicted. Usually, it involved my father, who was supposed to be the map reader, yes, I am that old, falling asleep in the passenger seat. And then my mother, who had also drifted away from paying attention, suddenly coming up to an important exit ramp and not knowing what to do. And sure enough, she'd slam on the brakes in the middle of the highway, swerve into that triangular gore zone between the highway and the exit ramp. I now know why it's called a gore zone. And my parents would then engage in a period of what I would call intense negotiations. And all the while, trucks and semis are flying past us at 70 to 80 miles an hour, shaking our vehicle, and I'm in the back seat shaking as well, thinking we're all going to die. It was an existential crisis for me. But eventually, my parents would once again become aware of where we actually were and where we needed to go, and then with a grand display of her hidden NASCAR skills, my mom would burn rubber and make our Dodge van peel out in the right direction once again. I had an exciting childhood and a vivid imagination. I'm not sure which one was reflected there. But by the way, I should say that my parents aren't like that anymore. It's amazing how much transformation and healing the Holy Spirit and the global positioning system can bring to a marriage. (laughs) But anyway, journeys always come with difficulties. And when I was growing up, most of those difficulties that I observed were self-inflicted because my father couldn't keep his eyes open and my mother couldn't recall the next exit number. In other words, most of the difficulties we confronted on our vacation journeys arose not from remaining aware or alert to the realities that were around us. And Peter's going to show us today that is exactly the same danger that we as believers face in this journey of this Christian race as well. As we run our race of faith here on earth towards glory, we must remain aware and alert about certain spiritual realities if we want to keep on pressing forward in our Christian walk. 
Because if we don't remain aware, if we fall asleep in relation to these realities, we will get slowed down and tripped up in our Christian race. The first way that this can happen is by losing sight of God's sovereignty over our lives. We saw this last week in verses 6-7 through of 1 Peter 5. If we're not careful, we can raise up our purposes and our timing and our wisdom as higher and more important than the Lord's. And then when God's not accomplishing our purposes, when He's not honoring our timelines, and when He's not following our wisdom and our means and what we think would be best, we can grow bitter, we can grow angry, and we can grow resentful. And so we saw last week in verses 6-7 through how we need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and rest in His sovereign purposes, timing, and means when it comes to our lives. We are to surrender to God's sovereignty. The second way that we can be slowed down and tripped up in our Christian race of faith is not only by losing sight of God's sovereignty, but also of Satan's subtleties. And that's what we're going to look at today in verses 8-9. through If we don't stay awake and alert in our spiritual journey to what Satan is actively trying to do to you and to me in this world, the result could be spiritually devastating. A spiritual gore zone, if you will. Not only to us, but to everyone we know as well. And so Peter's going to show us today three basic ways that you and I can begin to take a stand against Satan's subtleties so that we won't be tripped up or slowed down in our Christian walk. So if we're going to keep on running in faith after Jesus in our Christian walk, we, gotta, we need to stay alert and awake and keep sight of God's sovereignty, Satan's subtleties, and finally heaven's securities. That'll be next week in verses 10 through 11. See, no one runs without a purpose. No one progresses without a goal. And our goal as elect exiles and followers of Jesus is to stand before Jesus Christ someday in glory with all of the wholeness belonging and strength that comes through Christ alone. That's our focus and that's our finish line. That one day we will at last be home. But that is not today. And so as we'll see next week, we must keep striving towards heaven's securities. So these are the three ways that Peter gives us one last final encouraging push to keep on running faithfully in the Christian life by surrendering to God's sovereignties, by standing against Satan's subtleties, and by striving towards heaven's securities. This is how you and I will keep on running. So with that in mind, if you would please stand with me out of reverence and honor for the Word of God this morning as I read our passage before us today from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. The Apostle Peter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words, the Word of God to us today. Verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. 
And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God, whom the Lord does not, which, which the Lord does not hide from us, since we are sojourners on this earth. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today as your people, needy and in need of your strength and your truth and your wisdom and your grace. We come before you as sheep of your pasture. And we ask that you would feed us today. Father, I pray that your spirit would accompany the feeble teaching of your word with power. So that you might plant your word deep within us. That it might bear forth the fruit of salvation in some and righteousness in all. Father, help us to be aware of the world in which we are living. Help us, Father, in our day and in our time to stand firm even as we keep running. Encourage us and lead us on right paths this morning, Father, for your name's sake. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So after Peter calls on us to surrender to God's sovereignty over our lives, he then calls us also to stand against Satan's subtleties. That's in verses 8 through 9. Now, that might come as a surprise to some of you, especially after what we studied last week. Last week we were reminded that God is God and that he is sovereignly in control of absolutely every facet of our lives. And it's understandable how one might listen to a message like that and mistakenly think that God is therefore calling for some type of passive approach to the Christian life. A sort of case sera, sera, whatever will be, will be, the future's not all ours to see, you know, Doris Day, right? Um, that if God is sovereign, then that must mean that I have no responsibilities and I should just let go and let God when it comes to my life. In fact, our culture even has a theme song for this approach. It's called Jesus Take the Wheel, if you've ever heard that one. <laughs> I love it. Um, well, in this morning's passage, to carry on with the analogy, this is what Jesus would say in response to a song like that. No, you keep your car on the road. I've given you eyes, I've given you hands, and I've given you a brain. Don't drive on black ice, right? This is what Jesus' response would be. Keep awake and keep alert, Just because I am in control, that does not negate that you are also responsible to use the gifts that I have given you. This passage is yet another reminder in the the great canon of Scripture that God's absolute sovereignty by no means negates our personal responsibility. Those two realities which we often think are in opposition to each other are actually close and bosom friends when you study them in the revelation of Scripture. Surrendering to God's sovereignty is not a passive thing. It is an active thing. 
It is resting in God's sovereignty, as we already saw last week, in prayer while doing what is good, as we'll see this morning. As J.I. Packer once wrote, the Christian's motto is not let go and let God, but rather trust God and get going. And so as Peter's going to show us here in this morning's passage, to surrender to God's sovereignty means to stand against Satan's subtleties. If we have surrendered to the sovereignty of the king, then we will strive against the subtleties of his opponent in this world. If you're a pilgrim on the way to the celestial city, when you meet Apollyon, you won't turn your back. You'll stand and you'll fight for the glory of the king. And the only way that you and I will be able to do that, to stand against Satan's subtleties in this world, is if we remain aware and alert of some truths and some realities at all times and in all circumstances. So the first the first truth and reality that we must remain aware and alert of is to know the truth, Peter reminds us here, of our peril. That's in verse 8. That's in verse 8. Peter writes these words to us. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. First, Peter says here, be sober-minded. That is, be clear-headed and clear-thinking according to God's Word. Now, Peter has already encouraged us in this regard multiple times in this letter. If you recall, back in chapter 1, verse 13, Peter said, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. Start thinking clearly. Again, in chapter 4, verse 7, he says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. This is essential to Peter's understanding of how to glorify God in this world. You will not glorify God in this world as a believer until you are able to think clearly according to God's word. Until your mind is transformed by the truth to be able to accurately discern the realities that you're seeing in the world around you. And so Peter returns to that now. And he tells us once again, in this primer on essential Christianity, to be sober-minded. Be clear-thinking and level-headed. Be self-controlled. Have your mind and your emotions controlled by the sobriety of wisdom and the clear-headedness of God's Word. See, in these shadow lands, down in these shadow lands, our thinking can easily become muddled, distracted, and confused. Just as Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18 says, sin darkens our understanding. But Psalms 19, verse 8 also promises the command of the Lord is pure, it is clear, and it brings enlightenment to the eyes. And so what Peter's doing here in this verse is he's encouraging us to breathe in deep the high and clear air of God's word so that our minds might be made clear as well. As Romans 12, verse 2 says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and pleasing. We as believers ought to be known as people who can think, who don't just drink in information undiscerningly, but people who can think. Think in a clear, in a reasoned, and in a grounded way because our minds are being transformed not by the newscasts, not by podcasts, not by the headlines, but by the Word of God. 
that our minds are being transformed and washed clean and thinking rightly by the truth. We've got to get our minds out of the world and into the Word. It's the only way we'll be any earthly good. And as 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 states, we must take every thought captive to obey Christ. We have to be sober-minded. There's no other way to glorify God. It starts in the mind and it starts in the hearts. We must remain aware and alert and clear-headed. And Peter's going to say next, particularly about something very important. We must be sober-minded. Then Peter says this, be watchful. Be watchful. In other words, not only know the truth, but be using it actively to interpret the world around you. In other words, don't read your Bible for the day and say, I'm not going to have any application for this today. But you read your Bible and say, okay, there's going to be some way that God is going to call on me to discern the world around me based on the truth that I've just read. And I need to be watchful about that. I need to be aware about it. How does God want me to apply this word to me today? We must remain watchful. And that word, be watchful, means... To keep alert and aware of the arrival of something that is unavoidably coming at a moment you do not expect. It is often used in Scripture in reference to Christ's appearing. But here Peter uses it in reference to something else. There is something else that is unavoidably coming into your life at a moment you don't expect. Something else that is unavoidably coming into your life that you and I need to keep awake and alert for. And what is that? Your adversary. Your adversary. Peter says this, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. This is why you and I must remain sober-minded and watchful. This is why you and I must remain clear-thinking and alert in God's Word and not lose focus in our Christian life and fall asleep. It's because you and I, brothers and sisters, are in grave danger. Let me remind you, beloved, that this world is not a friend to grace, nor is it a pleasure cruise to heaven. It's often a bloody journey through a barren wilderness that's filled with beastly enemies. Enemies that seek to rip you to shreds spiritually at any moment. Beloved, while you are here on earth, you are engaged in a fight for your life. And if you're not feeling that this morning, then I would contend it's very likely you're already being devoured by the deceptions of the enemy. Be aware and know the truth of your peril. Stay alert and keep your head in the game, believer. For we have an adversary. We do. His name is the devil. And he is prowling around like a roaring lion. As Job 1 verse 7 makes clear, he is roaming throughout the earth, restless in his search for victims. He is seeking someone to devour. Now, who is the devil seeking? We need to ask ourselves that question this morning. I think the context is clear. You can't avoid it. He is seeking us. He is seeking for believers to devour, if it would be possible, just like Peter, our author, who learned this lesson, might I say, firsthand. He who did not humble himself under the mighty hand of God, but rather in pride resisted God's sovereign will. Do you remember some of the things that Peter said while he was with Jesus on earth? You don't need to die, Jesus. 
Suffering doesn't have to be a part of this life. You can go straight to glory. You can live your best life now. Right? You don't need to wa- I don't need to watch and pray, Jesus. I don't need to stay up with you in prayer. I'll never abandon you. I will go with you to death. I am not as weak and needy as you think I am, Jesus. Three times. Betrayed the one he loved. When Peter had an attitude of pride and self-sufficiency, Satan wasted no time at all. He leapt and there was there with Peter in a moment. What did Jesus say in Luke 22, verse 31? He says, oh, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Brothers and sisters, the devil is stalking down people who bear the name of Christ in this world. He has singled them out. Those who bear the name of Christ. The unbelievers, he owns. The ones who bear the name of Christ, he hates. And so he is is stalking down professing believers who, like Peter, did not humble themselves beneath the mighty hand of God, but in arrogance and self-confidence that he went forth totally exposed in pride and prayerlessness. And when we as believers do that, Satan is there in an instant, and if God would permit it, the devil would rip you to shreds. As 1 Timothy 3, 6-7 states, when we get puffed up with pride, we fall into the condemnation of the devil, we fall into disgrace, we fall into the snare of the devil. Satan is seeking right now to undermine our confidence, to silence our confession, and to disintegrate our faith. He's hunting us down. And the weakness that all of us possess that he is waiting to exploit is our own pride and self-sufficiency. The pride that would say, I don't need to read God's word for today. The pride that would say, I don't need to ask for God's grace and forgiveness today. The pride that would say, I don't need God's people in my life today to encourage me. He is waiting for you to get trapped in that pride so that he might spring upon you. See, Peter's not talking about what happens here to unbelievers. This whole letter is written to believers, right? He's talking to elect exiles. Peter's talking from his own experience about what can happen to believers. If you do not humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, if you do not surrender to God's sovereignty in your life, if you do not watch and pray. Just like with my parents during that vacation, most of our difficulties, our struggles, our failings, if you go back far enough, are self-inflicted. Because we chose to walk in pride and self-sufficiency rather than in humility and independence upon the Lord. And when we do that, the devil will devour you in a moment. Before you even hit the ground, he will rip your spiritual testimony to shreds. And brothers and sisters, the evidence of this is seen all throughout professing Christianity in America today. All across this nation. Absolute decimation from the highest levels to the lowest. Believers, we must remain humble and alert regarding our peril, that we are in grave danger. For what does 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12 says? Therefore, let anyone who thinks they are standing take heed lest they what? What does it say? Fall. Fall. See, if you're going to stand against Satan's subtleties, you've got to know the truth. You've got to know the truth. Yes, that's right. I want you to be, you're like, this is a sobering message. It's kind of what Peter says, Right? Be sober-minded, right? 
Know the truth of your peril. Know the truth of your peril. Second, know the truth of your promises. Know the truth of your promises. It's the beginning of verse 9. Peter writes in verse 9, he says what? Resist him firm in your faith. Now notice, Peter does not say flee from him here. Peter says fight him. When Satan comes for you, and come he will at a moment you do not expect, unavoidably, when he comes, dressed as a servant of righteousness perhaps, or dressed as a seductive tempter with the smoothest smile you've ever seen and the wittiest tongue that you've ever heard, the most attractive face you've ever seen, when Satan comes for you like that, Peter says, don't you dare give in. Be watchful, be alert, be ready. Peter does not say don't. He does not say give in. He does not say give in. Neither does Peter pull a Gandalf and say, this foe is beyond any of you, fly. Right? Peter says, plant your feet down and fight. Ephesians 4 verse 27, give no opportunity to the devil. You don't need to give him an inch. James 4 verse 7, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will what? Flee from you. He gives up the battlefield, not you. Peter says, plant your feet down and fight. You have been given a tool with divine strength to resist the greatest of adversaries. And what is that tool? Peter tells us next, he says, resist him. How? Firm in your faith. And literally in Greek, what it says is firm in the faith. The divine faith. The once for all delivered unto the saints faith, as Jude 3 puts it. This is how you fight Satan. It is by knowing, it is by believing the truth of the promises that God has given you and the truth of the promises of what Christ has done for you. It's not by, this is, this is not how you fight Satan, by writing, by yelling out ridiculous statements like, I bind you, Satan. Really? Only Jesus can do that. And he's going to do it when he returns to establish his earthly kingdom someday soon. But until then, this verse makes it very clear, Satan is not bound, nor can he be by believers. He's on the prowl, he's on the hunt, until his time is up. Satan cannot be bound by us. Oh, but he can be fought. And he must be. How? The way that Jesus fought when he became a man, and he gave us an example that we might follow in his steps. How did Jesus fight and resist the devil? If you remember, we have it illustrated for us beautifully in the Gospels multiple times in Luke chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, Mark chapter 1. Jesus goes out into the wilderness led by the Spirit and was tempted there for 40 days. And in that moment of total weakness, Satan leapt. Satan tempted Jesus in all these different ways. And yet, how did Jesus respond in those moments? I bind you, Satan. Nope. He responded firm in the faith with the word of God. It is written. It is written. It is written. You are a liar and you are not walking in the truth. That is how he responded to Satan. It is written. Jesus knew the truth and he believed it and he wielded the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, against Satan's lies Satan's subtleties, Satan's temptations. Jesus knew the truth and he believed it. He resisted firm in the faith and Satan did what? Departed. He fled from him. 
Just as 1 John 5, 4 says, this is the victory that has overcome the world, the faith that is ours. And that is why in Ephesians chapter 6, after Paul says, therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand in the evil day, having done all to stand, the very first piece of armor that, Peter, that Paul tells us to put on in verse 14 is, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of what? Truth. Truth. Every day we've got to put on the truth. We have got to know it. Brothers and sisters, if all you're reading is our daily bread, Satan will devour you. I'm sorry to put it that bluntly. You must be in the word of truth. You must know the word, not verses taken out of context and acute illustration for the day. That's a fine and wonderful supplement. But you must be in the word of God yourself. Because this is not a pleasure cruise towards heaven. You take a verse out of context, Satan's really good at doing that too. You better know the context behind every verse that you know. You've got to fasten on the belt of truth. Every day we've got to put on the truth. We've got to know it. We've got to know it. And then Ephesians 6.18 says we've got to pull it out and use it in faith as the sword of the Spirit and resist him firm in the faith. Brothers and sisters, I don't want to know what devotional you're reading. This is me as a pastor, okay? I've seen too many lives destroyed by anemic Christianity. Are you reading the Word of God for yourself? This is the beginning of a new year. Just start in Genesis and keep reading. Read the Word of God. Know your peril and know your promises. So to stand against Satan's subtleties, we've got to know the truth. We've got to know the truth. The truth of our peril, the truth of our promises, and finally, the truth of your partnership. End of verse 9, Peter writes this. Resist him firm in the faith, knowing what? Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. In other words, your trials, beloved, your hardships, the hatred and struggles and sufferings that you're facing, even the lies and the temptations that Satan's putting forward, the devilish assaults and animosity that you're receiving is not unique to you, right? No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. You would not believe how many times I'm in counseling and someone will say, this is what I'm going through, and I'm sitting there thinking, wait a minute, wasn't I talking to you six months ago? Oh no, that was someone else. It's like Satan has the same playbook over and over and over again. So these temptations, these subtleties, these lies are not calm. These are not, these are not unique to you. The same types of sufferings that are being experienced are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. We're all in this battle together, brothers and sisters. And so rather than lash out at others because of the difficulties that you're experiencing, might I encourage you to remember that you're not alone and reach out to others in the midst of your difficulties. Because God has given you a brotherhood of pilgrims for a reason. As Paul says in 2 Timothy 2 verse 3, share in suffering with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Your suffering is not unique. It is part and parcel of our collective Christian experience. And so to stand against Satan's subtleties, we've got to know the truth of our peril. 
the truth of our promises, and the truth of our partnership. We are, as Peter says here, a brotherhood with the same perils and the same promises. We are in this together. And brothers and sisters, you and I cannot stand firm in the faith alone. Cannot. So if all you're doing is watching online every Sunday, that is not sufficient. We need the partnership, the brotherhood of Christians. We need to be there for each other. We need to know each other, what we're going through, what we're dealing with. We need to be there for each other knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by the brotherhood throughout the world. So, if we're going to keep on running in this Christian life, we can't fall asleep. We can't get distracted. We've got to stay awake and alert to Satan's subtleties by knowing the truth of our peril, the promises, and our partnership. We're in a battle, and we're either fighting forward or we're getting pushed back. And so, brothers and sisters, can I just say, I am I'm so burdened this morning to apply this passage because our adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And therefore, we need to apply this passage urgently today, not only for ourselves, but for each other. And so let me help you in that today. First, we must apply this passage to ourselves. Do you recognize... Are you aware of the truth of your peril this morning? That you have an adversary, the devil himself, who is seeking to destroy your faith and your commitment to Jesus Christ through his lies and his temptations. And that every day that you walk in pride and self-sufficiency by neglecting his word, neglecting prayer, and neglecting the encouragement of his people, you are turning your back on your opponent and you are opening yourself up to his destructive plans for your life. It is often self-inflicted. It's a slow fade, brothers and sisters. It's a slow fall into the lion's paws, but fall long enough and the destruction is swift. And I've seen it over and over and over again. Man, I hate Satan. But I don't hate him enough. I urge you, Run to Jesus this week, believer. First, if you are outside of Christ, do you understand that there is absolutely no protection that you possess against the schemes of the devil? You must have someone stronger come into your life to beat up Satan, right? You must be indwelt by the Holy Spirit so that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. But even as a believer, I urge you this morning, run to Jesus. Run to Christ's word and stand firm in the faith. Run to Christ's throne because we've seen he cares for you. And run to Christ's people for they are experiencing the same type of trials and pressures and they will help you resist. Run to Christ's word, throne, and prayer this, and people this week and you will not need to fear the foe. For as Romans 8 promises, you are more than conquerors through him who, what? Loves us. And beloved, if you've fallen even, if you're here this morning saying, man, Satan has leapt, and there has been great damage to the name of Christ, then I encourage you to run to Jesus as well. Return to him, and he will strengthen you, even in your weakness. Peter is an example of this 
For after Jesus warned him, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Jesus then said, but I have prayed for you, Simon, so that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, do what? Strengthen your brothers. See, run to Jesus and he will deliver you. He will deliver you. So, beloved, I would encourage you this morning, apply this passage to yourself. And second, I would urge you to apply this passage to each other. Do you recognize, are you aware of the truth of their peril around you? The peril of your fellow pilgrims who are here this morning. That they have an adversary. The same devil himself who is seeking to destroy their faith and their commitment to Jesus Christ through his lies and temptations. And that every day that they walk in pride and self-sufficiency by neglecting Christ's word and prayer and the encouragement of his people, they as well are turning their backs to their opponent and opening themselves up to his destructive attacks. So I would encourage you, beloved, have your brothers and sisters' backs. Pray for each other. Meet with each other. Study and share Scripture with each other. For though one might fall, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Bring Christ's Word, throne, and people to one another this week. Do the work of the ministry so that we may resist our adversaries and show ourselves as more than conquerors through Him who loves us as we stand firm against His subtleties Stand firm in our faith and stand firm in Christ. Let's be sure to apply this passage to ourselves and to each other and keep on running because as we're going to see next week, we're almost home. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, but you resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Stand against Satan's subtleties and keep on running. This is the word of God from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8-9, through 9, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience until Christ, who is both the object and end of our faith, is seen by all who long for His appearing. To that end, let's pray. Father, I thank You for this passage. We thank You, Father, for how it rips to shreds the lies of our culture around us. As we live in a culture in which we live, it is telling us day after day that all that exists is what we see. And that all that matters is to chase the next thing that looks good and feels right. And I thank you that your word cuts like a sword through the deceptions and reminds us, oh no, this world is far more than the things that we see. For it is twofold. There is an adversary that is invisible seeking to destroy those who bear the name of Christ. But there is also an eternity to strive towards 
a glory that is offered in Christ, spiritual and eternal life in Him. And so, Father, I pray that this week You would help us to live in light of these realities. Help us to remain watchful, knowing that there are two realities about to come at an hour we do not expect. One is Satan's attack. Help us to be ready, Father. Help us to equip ourselves through the Word of God and prayer and Christian fellowship that when He finds us, He finds us firmly secured upon the truth, accompanied side by side with other believers engaged in battle already. And Father, I pray also that we would, You would keep us watchful for that blessed day, that glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ when our faith becomes sight and the finish line is crossed and the struggles we have will be cast away for all of eternity as we, as we worship at the feet of Jesus forever. Father, help us to keep on running. Help us to not fall asleep. Help us to remain alert. And we pray, Father, that as we keep on running, Side by side, I pray, Father, that we would lead others to faith in Christ as they see our faith enacted in action. Give us grace, Father, this week, each and every day, to avail ourselves of your grace and to stand against Satan's subtleties that would seek to deceive us from putting Christ first above all. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.